Welcome to the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution. Listen to interviews with the most influential people in the insurance industry. Learn the most important strategies, tactics, trends, and challenges facing today's independent insurance agents and brokers. Subscribe today and get updates delivered right to your inbox. And now, without further delay, the Connected Insurance Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Jans. Once upon a time, co-founder of Agency Revolution, now principal at Michael Chan's Advisory, and I want to welcome you to this episode of the Connected Insurance Podcast presented by Agency Revolution, creators of Fuse. Fuse is the insurance marketing software that skyrockets retention, boosts policy per customer, and makes your clients love your agency. What else could you ask for uh, without you having to hire a whole bunch of staff, programmers, or technologists. If you haven't done it lately, I will urge you because I have seen the new features. Visit agencyrevolution.com, request a demo of the software that agents and brokers are raving about today. And speaking of raving, I'm thrilled about uh, this conversation with Marty Ellingsworth. Marty serves as the executive managing director of Property and Casualty Insurance Intelligence at J.D. Power and directs his gaze at the independent agency system and the independent agent in this podcast. And cover we cover a number of topics. I get his insight on uh, the hard market, particularly in the automobile insurance um, side of the industry, what's causing it, where's it's going. Um, another interesting conversation or part of the conversation about what's been a really long persistency of market share in auto insurance for the independent agency sector. What does that look like uh, when we are, in fact, up against some fairly stiff competition? Uh, of course, we talk about the massive impact of technology in every corner of the industry and much, much more. Before I bring you into this conversation. I have a free gift for you. You just need to ask for it. Uh, some time ago, I disappeared from LinkedIn. Uh, I was getting dissatisfied with the quality of the conversation and uh, took some time off from it. Meanwhile, uh, I studied the algorithm. Uh, I studied the data science scientists who study the algorithm. And um, I put together a toolkit. And the reason I did that is because I figured if I'm going to be in it, I want to be in it so that people pay attention to the content that I deliver, um, that people follow, perhaps the thought leadership that uh, I can offer with some of my content on LinkedIn. In other words, I wanted to get traction. If I'm going to spend my time there, I don't want to waste it. So I put together a toolkit and I want to now share that toolkit with you. I cover a lot. Um, I have uh, at this point four or five different sections in the toolkit. Um, one, my beat the algorithm checklist. I really didn't create it myself. Uh, I compiled it again by studying the data scientists who test the algorithm itself. I share with you the three templates, the three best templates of posts that make it easy to create content that really do get attention and respect and ultimately leads. Um, I share with you a grab bag of my own personal strategies and shortcuts uh, that make using LinkedIn marketing easy. 
Um, and I have a section of cool tools that will accelerate your LinkedIn marketing. If you want a copy, just ask. And there are two ways to ask. One, email me at michael at michaeljans.com. Or guess what? You can hop on LinkedIn and message me. Uh, all I need you to say is LinkedIn toolkit. That's it. Um, if you say just toolkit, uh, I may not know which toolkit to get you. So, because I've got more than one, I, I have another one that I'm very excited about offering in the next couple of weeks. But um, for those of you who are looking for leads, uh, whether you've got a marketer or not, do your own marketing or not, um, and you've been either thinking LinkedIn might be a good source for leads, I can tell you that it is, if you know what you're doing with the, with the right shortcuts and secrets. Um, or if you've been on LinkedIn and you haven't been quite satisfied or you want to get, a, get better traction, ask for Michael's toolkit. So again, email me, michael at michaeljans.com or hop on LinkedIn. I'm Michael Jans. Find me and, and ask me. All you need to do is say LinkedIn toolkit. Um, if you want to say something friendly besides that, that's also super duper cool. All right. So now without further ado, uh, it is a, it's really a privilege for me to be able to introduce you to my friend, Marty Ellingsworth from JD Power. Thanks so much for joining us today. How are you? Great, Michael. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah. So in full disclosure to the audience, this is not our first conversation. Uh, seems to me as I, as I recall, when we first met each other over Zoom, and this goes back to, I think it was, you know, perhaps late last year. Uh, we probably should have just turned on the recorder then because for some reason, you know, it was like uh, shake virtual hands and then launch into insurance stuff for the next 45 minutes. So here we are again. Um, and I know a little bit about you and you know a little bit about me. So I'm going to dive right in with some questions. Okay. Excellent. Well, you know, since we last talked, my six month policy has, has expired, but I stayed with my same company. Yeah, I'm sure you did, right? Because because <laughs> less than six months ago, you said you are a customer for life, which is like that. Uh, the, that is those are the words that you know bring shivers to every insurance carrier and every insurance agent because you you, you are the deliverer of maximum customer lifetime value. Um, so oh, and, and I think and I think you know thematically for the conversation today, I think. Customer lifetime value is the you know the uh, goal of every agent and of every call center staff and of every insurance executive to you know find customers where they can do lifetime risk transfer and advisory on safety and prevention and this idea of fix your car when you crash it versus help you when you need us and help us help you when you don't need us too uh, because you know we're there for you. Um, you know, across all these different life moments when, uh, you know, when you might need to think about risk differently, whether that's auto or home or life, um, you know, I'll leave, I'll leave healthcare for another discussion another day. Yeah, fair enough. But didn't you just sort of, just sort of, uh, just kind of deliver the culmination of this entire conversation right at the beginning? Because I know that that's a strong point of yours, right? <laughs> that, that the, um, maybe now more than ever, the agent in the agency has a developing and emerging a new role to play or a uh, to emphasize in the marketplace 
which is what you're talking about, right? Not just risk transfer, but risk prevention. Yeah, well, I think that the um, uh, think like an agent is the tagline for the industry. Uh, and it's, it's not just if I'm the auto product manager at a company, uh, when I have a customer, they have, they sleep at night somewhere, they park the car somewhere, uh, they might actually have, you know, real assets like a house or a watch or, uh, you know, a, a thousand dollar telephone. That's, <laughs> you know, that, those are things nowadays that, uh, that they might actually want to insure or, uh, or have, you know, some confidence around, um, you know, peace of mind when, you know, they just go through daily life. So the um, think like an agent is the way the industry should be operating. Uh, and if you actually are an agent, you, you, are, you do think like that because the um, people come to you with insurance questions that turn out to insurance advisory opportunities that turn out to, it's not about the stuff you have, but it's also how you use it. And you know, there's, um, there's things you can do to be safer and to prevent accidents and to, um, to be smarter about shopping. Okay, and the, uh, being smarter about shopping and, and you know, we're not in a recession, but it sure feels like inflation has been rough the last six months. Right. And rate making's okay. been pretty heavy too. All right. Well, as I indicated, you've now you've, you've totally ruined the sequence of this conversation. So I'm going to go with the flow. Well, because the point you made is you and I have talked about it previously. The point you made is a critical point. Um, and um, I, I don't want to gloss it over, okay? Um, so when you say think like an agent, I'm, I'm wondering how much of a gap there is between like your ideal of what that means and actual practice and past practices and habits that have um, perhaps impeded or inhibited uh, an agent's ability to do what you're talking about, right? Because let, let's face it, to some extent, Marty, uh, to some extent, you know, an, an agency that's, let's say, selling some selling and reselling thousands of policies per year, small commercial lines or um, uh, personal lines, they're often not in a position one-on-one -on -one to provide the in-depth kind of advice that you're talking about. Some truth to that? Well, that's true. It, uh, well, okay. You, you can put on the hat of, hey, it's just personal lines. And the, um, you still have that same problem because you might have appointments with, uh, you know, monoline auto companies, monoline home companies, uh, people that only do motorcycles, people that only do uh, non-standard drivers. So there's, uh, in, a, in, a, in a, a neighborhood where the, the houses are, I'll say segmented into roughly eight different kinds of houses. And it's people with one, two, or three people in the house, uh, houses that are owned versus rented, uh, and one, two, or three cars. So it's, uh, you know, most of America is one person in a house with one car. Uh, but most people in insurance are homeowners with two cars and two drivers, like the, the prototypical Robinsons. Uh, and that's the, you know, you know, as you walk through the door, it's going to be, well, how many cars, how many drivers do you own or rent? Those are like the, the, the big three questions, which also make you a, a bundling opportunity, but it sets the stage for what levels of risk do you have 
what type of responsibilities do you have? And the um, uh, most people are good drivers, right? So, um, you know, on a regular day, you just talk <laughs> the, about- the, 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 the research shows the average driver thinks they're above an above average driver, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially if you've avoided crashing for the first five or 10 years of driving, after that, things are probably okay. Yeah. You know, you know, so it's a, there's kind of a power curve distribution of, of, um, of, you know, who's good enough to not crash. And then, um, you know, who gets distracted, who is tempted to uh, take shortcuts or, or who's just really a bad driver because they can't pay attention. Um, mm -hmm. So we're a little bit all over the place, but back to the idea of customer lifetime value, thinking like an, like an agent and, and understanding risk at a household level. The, your question was, why is it so hard to like, you know, act on an agent's instinct? And the answer I guess is always gonna be, it's a product centric world for an agent customer centric, you know, view of that world. And the, uh, uh, I think the frustration uh, for the last 25 years, you know, has been, I can see the house, I can see the cars, I can see the people going in and out of the house and the cars, but I can't see them in my systems. <laughs> and uh, I, don't, I don't have them organized as a household unit. So you know, those are the big challenges I think right now of the difference between thinking like an agent and executing you know, your insurance operations uh, as a customer-centric organization. Um, let me ask you this. There, you know, we've seen in the last decade, let's say, a, a number of new emerging technologies that are designed to do exactly what you're talking about for a household, um, prevent um, a problem from happening to begin with, where, it, you know, whether it's a water-related problem or, you know, an elect electrical-related problem, um, you know, perhaps some, um, you know, weather-related problems. Uh, th there are a number of things that um, the people could conceivably install in their home to make it, quote-unquote, smarter that would uh, um, make them, quote-unquote, safer. Um, do, do you think, like, um, an agent's role could be to some extent, you know, not necessarily brokering those, but brokering the concept of those, um, advising, recommending, suggesting, maybe training on tools like that for the um, for their policyholders. Well, I, I think one of the key pieces is uh, the intelligent matching of the type of technology with the type of customer and the type of house. So if I know that you know this person is in an older house with older electrical uh, outlets and, and wiring, uh, maybe fire prevention and electrical surges would be a really good fit for them. Uh, but the brand new house, not so much. Uh, mm -hmm. And the uh, it seems easy from a direct marketing standpoint. It's like yeah, we'll just like you know target the older homes for this and target the newer homes with this. But it's uh, you know, the attitude of the of the occupant of the home, their uh, their expectations for uh, you know prevention and safety, their uh, risk tolerance for bearing any costs, you know, or their uh, or their brand loyalty to their existing uh, you know carrier, 
Uh, mm -hmm. Those are things that uh, are, are more subtle. And if you're, um, if you're in a direct relationship with them, you know the answer. Um, the, the question then is, well, how well do you know the 10,000 personal lines customers you have? That's like right. my, me, you and your, your 27,000 LinkedIn followers, how, uh, how well do you know all of them? Uh, so, you know, the ability to, you know, use more data analytics uh, to supplement that knowledge uh, and to build on those relationships, ah. I think is, uh, is a big piece of, um, of that last mile problem of where do the new insure techs go? How do they meet the, the customers? Uh, what's the onboarding process? Those are the opportunities to deliver the experience with the, I'll call them lost control items or prevention plus items, uh, where uh, you know, that type of um, uh, onboarding sale process and introduction can all happen more natively. And you've seen that a lot with distribution systems of, of insurtechs that are turning into, you know, full stack insurance carriers, you know, uh -huh. where they're, uh, you know, and then they're going, we're going to go direct and they go, oh, and then we're going to also open up an MGA. Uh, <laughs> and then we're going to open up independent agent. And we're going to open up an independent agent channel uh, because the, uh, there's just a lot of households that like to work with agents on a preferred basis. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that preference is going to stay sticky. That's a, so this is a segue to um, an article that you had sent me previously, the headline of which is complaint data shows customer experience still comes up short. What's going on there, um, Mr. Voice of the Consumer? Okay, what's going on there in terms of um, customer satisfaction with insurance and with our channel, independent agency channel? Well, I think that consumers with their digital devices have outsized expectations of what great looks like now. And it's the bar keeps moving higher all the time from a variety of adjacent industries, uh, not the insurance industry. And I think that's the biggest problem is that uh, you know you could order something from Amazon while we're talking on the on, on Zoom right now. And by the time we hang up, it might be at your front door. You know, mm -hmm. It's that crazy. Um, almost anything like just getting a new uh, uh, ID card for your insurance uh, policy, you know, isn't even that fast. It's not uh, even that easy. That's, that's right. And, um, at another aspect, uh, Marty, that it would seem the Amazon experience uh, brings to the customer is uh, customer intimacy. So in other words, I can log on to Amazon for my books, like, you know, right, mm -hmm. to go purchase a book. And it knows what I like, it knows what I love, it knows what I read, it knows what I've been reading lately, it makes uh, recommendations that far exceed recommendations that I might get from my independent bookseller because it has one granular knowledge about Michael Jans and infinite knowledge about what's available in the universe. And so its ability to um, match on a personal customized basis is, is rather mind-boggling if we go back 20 years or even 10 years and is uh, certainly unequaled in our industry, right? That kind of granular knowledge, which would be very and, useful. And the pace at which that, that channel has learned about you and had, has made your experience with that channel 
superlative has been, you know, hours, days, weeks, not weeks, months, quarters, years. Uh, yeah. And so the, the idea that, you know, I'm calling my insurance company and they're asking me uh, to repeat something that I told them last week about. Well, actually, that you probably may, maybe you told them when you when you called, if they had uh, automated, uh, you know, like uh, voice. Uh, and then you told the first. You could have texted you know, it. You could have told them. And it's like, okay, do I really have to tell you this again when I just told it when I called in for the first time? Um, so you you had also you you've in previous conversations you talked about data. Okay, so let's take a moment. Yeah, no data. Right. Data and transparency. So, you know, if you give me data, then you expect me to do something with it. And one thing you expect me to do is remember it. So the next thing you expect me to do is assess it uh, and ask if there's anything else that you need to tell me right now. And the third thing is what's going to happen next. And uh, that's the type of experience on an end-to-end -end basis that an Amazon experience gives you that an insurance experience still in most cases does not. You know, okay. it's, uh, you know, let's wait and see. We'll call you back. We don't know yet. I mean, the status of your issue. So there's not a lot of prompting. You know, I'll get a text that says, Marty, there's um, your order is being completed. Marty, your order is on delivery. Marty, your order is at your front door. Um, here's a picture of it, you know, sitting by your step. Uh, <laughs> right. you know, that's, I mean, that's, that's what's raising the bar so much is that the, uh, the idea of, well, when my car got crashed, it went to a shop. Um, you know, when's it going to come back and how much is it going to cost? Um, you know, those ideas of simply letting me know the status are, um, and who's going to tell me that status? You know, a robot, um, a transaction system, someone's going to call me from the company or from the shop or my agent's going to tell me. Um, the idea of being able to move to kind of a, uh, an omni-party uh, recorded conversation is, I think, where everybody is expecting things to go because you know if, if i was doing a text with a group of friends we'd all be on it um, mm -hmm. and there's why wouldn't you be able to do a text with a group of stakeholders in your let's say simple you know non-threatening small insurance claim uh, you know there might be reasons for privacy to like unbundle things but you know for something as simple as uh, you know i've got a dent in my car and i need it fixed um, you know, and I did it myself. Nobody else is involved. Um, you know, then it should be pretty clear, right? Yeah. But it's, even those are not simple. They're not. Okay. Um, so I'm going to ask you where you think it's going. Um, you know, first I'll preface it by saying that as this podcast host, I get inbound requests for, from people who want to be guests or from their public relations firm who wants to place them as a guest on this show. Um, and uh, it's a kind of an interesting way for me to keep my finger on the pulse because usually it's like, what's super hot is uh, it tends to like, you know, what uh, what is see seeks me out. So in the last, let's say, year or 18 months, um, insure techs with artificial intelligence have been surfacing into my inbox and occasionally in my podcast series, not always. And often they're taking uh, data from elsewhere, uh, public data, for example. And uh, you know, it, it might demonstrate that 
oh, I insure Marty there in California, but did you know he also owns a second home in Vermont? No, I didn't, right? So boom, there's, a, there's where I'm bridging data, public data with private data and uh, presenting an opportunity for me and an opportunity for you. Um, or um, uh, another firm that's analyzing data based on uh, simply what's inside the agency management system and, and analyzing behaviors to determine customer sentiment, right? So uh, it can identify groups of customers who are perhaps inclined to non-renew because um, you know they meet certain factors and, cert and some clients who are um, open to uh, purchasing another policy because of other factors. And so, yeah, I may be answering Michael's own question here, but you know, in, in terms of like bringing together public data, unstructured data, uh, data from devices, data maybe from social, um, do you think that is one of the ways that this that the industry is going and will be able to get closer to its customer base? Oh, yes, I do. And, and there's, um, there's a variety of, uh, you know, permitted purposes, you know, public data for any purposes, um, you know, weird and weird and, and crazy types of, of data that you wouldn't expect to be used. But, you know, this time of year, as, uh, as people are graduating high school, you might see, you know, the class before them ordering their high school rings. Uh, so you could actually like find, you know, 16, 17 year olds you know, buy their, their class ring ordering uh, receipts and, you know, find where the ring got shipped to and say, hey, did you know Michael has a 17-year-old in his house? And, um, you know, it's like, well, it's funny. There's no teenage drivers listed on his policies. Uh, I wonder if they're even licensed. So, you know, things that are, um, or, or, hey, there's a boat registry database uh, down at the harbor. Uh, you know, does, does Mike got a boat down there? Uh, because if he does, that's one more insurable asset or risk that he's taking that uh, that no one else knows about. And uh, mm -hmm. there's no slips in that harbor. It's it's more of like a ramp, uh, but they keep track. And so now he's got a trailer that gets it down and back, right? Uh, or he's storing it someplace. So the um, you know, all those things. If I were just chatting to you as an agent to uh, to a customer, you know, those might come up in conversations. Those might be a, a, a pick box on your uh, on your iPhone or your um, or your uh, Android device, uh, but you know that's the type of cataloging of what are your assets now, what are your risks now. That eventually, as you change your mind, as you change your assets, as you you know buy and sell things or replace things, get newer, bigger ones or or downsize, all of those things are going to affect your your insurance. You know, I'll call it uh, wallet, mm -hmm. uh, and. Uh, and those are things of topical of mind to thinking like an agent that um, that every company should be advising you to think through. So future pace here to some imaginary time in, in the future. I don't know if this is 2023 now, 10 years from now, or <laughs> maybe next year. But when what do you see the role of the agent? What does what does an agent do? in this magical time in the future where technologies can deliver valuable information that allow them to get um, to be more knowledgeable and more intimate with their customer. What, what's the job of the agent in the future? The same as it is now, to be the knowledge partner about risk. 
how do they do it differently at that point in the future than perhaps they do it now or have done it in the past? Well, I don't think there's going to be a robo agent, you know, necessarily, but there, right. there is some formula to it. You know, when it comes down to, uh, you know, people with assets like you have these types of policies, have, have these types of, uh, of terms and conditions. Uh, and then the, um, you know, people that have preferences for, I want great customer service. I want a great digital experience. Um, I want stable premiums. I, I want to have a, a live person talk to me when I say agent. Uh, you know, those types of preferences will be like asked and recorded as, as part of the preference envelope for that customer. And, and then you can become that you know, knowledge partner with you know, preferred experience delivery. And that's the, uh, you know, being able to have that kind of concierge uh, on your behalf is still a systems issue, I think a little mm -hmm. out of reach, uh, but there's a lot of things I could do to just, I could text or prompt you and say, hey, Michael, it's been a while since we talked. How do you prefer I contact you? I mean, have you become a texter? Uh, <laughs> or do you, have you changed your, uh, your cycle and you, you'd rather be called in the morning versus in the afternoon, or did you retire and you, you're open to be talked to, uh, mm -hmm. anytime? Um, yeah. Or, or is it still, um, you know, you know, don't call before 10. So yeah, these, these simple courtesies of respecting people's, uh, you know, personal time and creating more empathy, um, uh, with, you know, them as a, as a customer, not just a insurance asset, uh, is, um, is just a, adding more humanity to the digital channels. And, and that's what agents I think are, are going to be best at is bringing empathy, um, you know, to the neighborhood. All right. So let's just circle on this for a moment. I'll, I'll throw out a proposition. Tell me if this makes sense. In order for us to bring more empathy, more humanity to our interactions and experiences with our customers, doesn't it make sense that the agent who could do that is very well supported with appropriate technologies? Otherwise, they're using their own time to research and gather and synthesize information that technologies could conceivably deliver instantaneously? I think the answer is a force multiplier. Yeah. So force. <laughs> force multiplier. So, you know, if, if you can make, you know, make me as an individual scale to a thousand customers because technology can handle people who want technology, uh, I can handle people who want me personally, and then I can pick and choose the ones where, you know, I think that they really need a person, not a robot, because, you know, this is a more difficult situation or a more complicated issue than, uh, than it appears, you know, in terms of the way the algorithms have, have boxed them up. Uh, and the, uh, that ability to um, supervise the robot and say, you know, this isn't. This is Mike's first injury claim, you know, and it's mm -hmm. uh, it's one of his family members, not a random stranger who has their own insurance. Uh, you know, maybe that's a really good time to like be more compassionate and be there and, and kind of walk them through the emotions uh, and explain what you know what the process looks like. 
uh, because you know those types of lingering doubts, you know, in a uh, highly emotional situation, those are the worst, uh, you know, outcomes because the you know you, you you know people need more information, and it, you know if you knew that they needed you now, you could you know, contact them. Yeah. Okay. So, Marty, I do want to find out what's the latest with the voice of the consumer and what is J.D. Powers saying about today's insurance customer. But before that, I know you have some experience with USAA. While, and while it is not a, an independent agency carrier, it's a remarkable carrier in that, um, well, um, among other things, it has perhaps the highest net promoter score in the industry, not by a little, but really in most cases by miles. Um, what's, what's, what do you think is so unique about USAA that makes it the success story that it's got? So I know you're a policyholder. And again, as you, I think in the, our last conversation, you said customer for life. Okay, that's that's a lot of affinity there. And a lot of affinity. Well, I'm glad you reminded uh, you, you remembered that. Uh, we did just uh, have Memorial Day weekend, and that's a a moment of caring and remembrance. Indeed. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, for all the veterans and families of veterans, and for everyone who's patriotic, uh, certainly that's a a moment to uh, to stop and pause. I think that the you know, for me as a um, a veteran. You know, USA was my first insurance company, and it'll be my last insurance company. The um, uh, unless it's something that they don't insure, right? Right. <laughs> so, you know, prior to them covering some small businesses, uh, you would have had to go through the agency. Yeah, if I got super rich and bought a hundred million dollar rooftop, you know, hilltop house, uh, they might be like carve that out. I have to go to Chubb or somebody. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I would, I would, you know, I would let the internal agency though refer me. Uh, so mm -hmm. I wouldn't have to like go by myself to Chubb, but the uh, uh, you know the affinity for a company that has high empathy and that has a hundred years of serving people like you that are you know active duty, being deployed, constantly moving, uh, at risk of uh, of being on the ready, uh, you know. That's that type of service and anticipation of your needs and the, the clarity of thought of making it easy for you to connect with them uh, has been, you know, their 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 promise to the membership, um, you know, for a century. And I think you can say pretty successfully, check and check, delivered well. Uh, it's getting harder for them uh, as a you know core mutual to. Um, uh, watch how things grow because the, the families and grandfamilies and great grandfamilies of a hundred years of membership are now also in many cases eligible to be members. And that drift in, um, you know, well, the, the active duty military since the draft ended back in the seventies has been in the, you know, the small single digit percents of America, you know, the, you know, the rate of growth of all the families that were onboarded across the last hundred years, you know, has been faster. So it's a, it's kind of a tale of two memberships, you know, the active duty core customer, um, you know, with, with, the, with the, 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 that growth. And then the people that don't even remember how they got their number. 
So right. it's uh, you know, there, so, there's there's so, a little bit of tension in there, but uh, you know, mm -hmm. when you say member for life, you know, the 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 core military, I think, is um, uh, absolutely aligned and uh, you know one of the highest net promoters and highest satisfied uh, groups. And I, I see that as a member, not as a uh, not as a insider of uh, of the insurance industry. No, no, I, I get that. I, I get that. So I, I think one could easily argue that USAA um, is a um, an object lesson in niche marketing. Well, if your niche is you know twenty billion dollars wide, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but right, but I um, mean, yeah. you 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 have worn the uniform of that niche. Absolutely, and uh, I, I think that there's you know government employees, there's teachers, unions, there's yeah. I think Geico, I think Geico is pharmacists a little there's, off there's, the government employees. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a bunch of like little niches, but uh, but this one you know because of I think the uh, the necessity of highly mobile, often moving, uh, understanding the niche. Right. Frequently, yeah, they, they know the problems that that niche can present. Yeah, they, they have responses to them. Yeah, they became member solvers. Uh, you know, and uh, and that that's persisted through the day. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. I, so that's enough of the advertisement. <laughs> yeah. No. But I think uh, you know, for those, uh, I'm I'm an advocate for niche marketing for the independent insurance agent for two mm -hmm. compelling reasons. One. From a um, an external point of view, the um, the power that it delivers to marketing is 10x over anything else, maybe more, because you can uh, customize your messaging. You you're reaching the same people. Um, you're um, uh, you know you you know where they hang out, right? And so you know the, the, well, from yeah, a marketer's point of view, it's a beauty. But on the internal side when the insurance factory is um, creating the same thing over and over and over again, it gets very, very good at it. So yeah. it's not only good for revenue growth, but it also tends to be very good for margins internally and ultimately for valuations. So um, when- oh, Well, uh, there's a reason. There's a reason there's a lot of really successful farm bureaus. A lot of really successful what? Farm bureaus. Farm bureaus, right. <laughs> okay, well, right. point well made. Yeah, point well made. All right. I mean, um, not, a, so, not, a, not a whole lot of niches, you know, like a, uh, you know, let's say a, a Tennessee Farm Bureau or a Kentucky Farm Bureau, um, or even some of the uh, the smaller, you know, mutuals in, in the states. Um, mm -hmm. Very targeted, very niche, deep understanding of their customers' uh, risks and locations. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, you can, you could be multi-state, you could be nationwide, or you could be, uh, uh, you know, mono-state. Okay. Um, one of the things that we've spoken about before, Marty, is uh, the, what, what we might call the persistency of the independent agency in personal lines. Now, <clears throat> we're all well aware of the persistency of the independent agent in commercial lines. This channel owns that part of the business. But in personal lines, um, it, it, you know, if you look at the trend line over the last 20, 25 years, we kind of keep bouncing around, you know, roughly, what is it, about 20% year after yep. year after year. And, and a lot of people, I think, predicted that 
after the internet cracked the code on how to buy insurance, that was going to go down. And we really haven't seen that. So uh, I'm curious what your explanation is of that persistency. Obviously, it's delivering value. Um, and how it's delivered value to my grandparents, my parents, myself, and, and now my children um, as, uh, as they go to market. And I'll, I'll say that, it, you know, that family tree concept uh, generically. Uh, and, but you know, it's, certainly it's been 30 years, maybe 40 years uh, in, in that process. Uh, they've, the, the channel itself has been you know, active and responsive to the changing world around them. Uh, they bring, you know, new techniques, new, new models, new channels, uh, you know, new types of products uh, to customers who, you know, prefer to work with people versus, you know, prefer to work with technology. And the, uh, that, that part of that is preference of the shopper, certainly. A lot of it is just the value that they bring as the consultative, you know, kind of risk advisor, um, you know, that's that helps people get informed. So is it fair to say that perhaps, at least for now, the market has spoken roughly 20% or so says this is matters to me. The relationship with an agent, the notion of an advocate, an expert, um, somebody who's on my side matters to me and I'm willing to pay for it. Yeah, and um, it could be as simple as I like to buy local. Um, could be, right. That's, I found someone that was moving to, uh, to Washington State just a while ago and he goes, Marty, can you help me find a local agent? I'm going, well, you know, uh, hold on a sec. So I just did a Google search and I went to the little <laughs> town where they're moving to and I looked, I typed in insurance agencies and I found one, I hit that website, I looked up, uh, you know, they're multi-line, they've, they've been in business for a long time. It's like, well, give these guys a call. Because you know, if you can right survive as a, as a if you can survive as a small business for you know 15, 20 years, mm -hmm. um, you you know you know what you're doing, and yeah. uh, you won't screw up uh, taking care of someone who just really needs to buy home insurance. But um, but he was specifically saying, I want a local agent, right? He didn't yes. want a local phone number for a big national, right? I mean, so there's no, something I mean, about that. And and right I on. think the reason he was switching brands was the company, the local company he worked with and enjoyed uh, in California didn't sell policies in, in Washington state. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, so it was interesting to have that preference, like directly, personally, um, you know, viscerally, you know, I want someone local. And right. um, that, that, that preference was very strong. Yeah. It's so it would seem that for, at least for, a um, measurable and fairly substantial percentage of our marketplace in this country. That's a high value. And, yeah, it is. And, and, and I think the other the, thing is they, they, they want choice. And um, that, that's one of the things that an independent agent can give that an exclusive ah. agent can't or that perhaps a, um, a direct to consumer you know, call center you know, agent can't do. Okay. They give okay, you all the so, options, but they can't give you choices. So your friend could have, uh, you know, landed in town. Could have called the State Farm guy, right? Or any number could've. of, right? Um, but it sounded like he not only wanted somebody locally and somebody on his on his team, 
but he wanted to be able to make some choices. There you go. Okay, that's interesting. So let's let's spend a moment on that. So when we look at the distribution of personal lines market share, we can see that you know there's been strong persistency with the independent agency channel, measurable growth with the direct channel. So the loss has largely been suffered by the captive channel, the captive agent channel. Right? That's how the math works. I'm not That's kind of how the math works. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, my first question is, what's going on there? And then my second question is, let's talk about State Farm. But let's take the big picture first. What is going on there? Um, you know, is it is it changing market forces? Is it changing economics? Uh, is it the pressure of economics? What do you think it is? So I, I think that there's a um, uh, cost pressure for you know many emerging households to you know, think about how much should they pay and how much insurance should they have, uh, and you know if they get to a point where I'll I'll take the min I, I don't have much to insure I don't have much to risk I'll take the minimum legal financial responsibility limits, um, and who can give me that the cheapest. Uh, it may often be a direct writer. Okay, uh, so they may no. go direct and on then, that. Mm -hmm. And then as they now, if they- but, 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 but Marty, that conceivably could be the independent agency customer and the captive customer, right? Very much so, very much okay, so. Okay, so, so we have two agency channels. Why is one really continuing to hold very strong and the other one not? Choice is a big difference. I'd, I'd, have, to say, I'd have to say choice. And, okay. the, and, and maybe more subtly, <laughs> Uh, you know, certainly brand, um, you know, it's got to be in there somewhere of the brand perceptions because mm -hmm. that's a choice as well. If I went right. to one captive with one choice, you know, if compared to, let's say, 10 appointments at an independent, um, uh, you know, agent's office, right. uh, I've got 10 to choose from. So there's choice, there's brand perception, uh, there's certainly price. Uh, you know, a lot of companies give new business discounts. Uh, so, you know, if I switch between companies after a certain amount of time, uh, I might get rewarded with a, a, a new business piece. I also might find new products uh, only when I switch. And uh, that's, that's been kind of a tongue in cheek, um, you know, exposure to usage based insurance is that, uh, you know, if you if you're at a company and you've been there a long time, they may not be telling you about usage based insurance because you know, they're happy with you on their books. And yeah. uh, you, might even, you might even be in runoff and not know it. Because um, that's not something that they would necessarily, you know, advertise. Hey, Marty, you're in the runoff book. Uh, it's like, well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> it's yeah. like, well, we stopped selling the program. We, we'll renew everybody that's got your pricing system. But, you know, the new stuff's going into this, you know, phone-based telematics system. And, uh, and, and that's like, the new company and you get a participation discount and we're going to watch how you drive and how much you drive. And so that, uh, that kind of data for risk, for savings, for safety, triangulation of what does it mean to have observable data and a risk advisory coaching process and a, you know, kind of pay for play, you know, risk curve. So that, um, you know, if, if I distinguish myself as being safer than everybody else, you know, I'll get a better rate than everybody else. 
uh, or people like me will get better rates than people like the opposite of me, which is crazy late night, high mile drivers. Uh, so it's, um, uh, you know, those are the, those new products. And this is going to be a terrible interview. I think we have to edit this thing really extensively. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the idea of, um, of, of, of if I was walled off in a uh, kind of closed company with, uh, with no new features, it's like a standard product and that's what you get. And maybe I get a loyalty discount. Maybe I get a bundling discount if I put more stuff into it but I'm not getting the cutting edge risk transfer programs like pitched to me regularly mm-hmm. uh, you know, because they don't want to cannibalize their, their existing book of business. They really want to make that an acquisition process um, that you may not see, you know, that might, you might hold that against somebody if uh, you know, if you've been kind of a, uh, I won't say fat, dumb and happy, but if you've been con- content where you were and then you went out to the world and you see smart homes, smart cars, smartphone, uh, you know, use your data to get be smartly insured. Uh, yeah, you might feel left out, and and then then it's going to be well, what what do you do next? You have to go shop, and an independent agent would be able to find, just like you advertise. An independent hey, agent would I, be able to. My, so my, <laughs> my puppy hasn't misbehaved yet, but he could. He's in the next room, so I'm used to it. I, I have a I have another theory, and I'm not sure I believe it yet. Okay, so I'm just, I'm just it's I'm toying with this. That that one of the key distinctions between the captive channel and the independent agency channel, and I could make enemies out of this. That's why I'm saying I don't quite I'm not sure if I believe this yet. But uh, in order to and keep in mind, of course, there are close to forty thousand independent agencies in the United States, and so they go from mom and pop to obviously, you know, billion dollar premium company, multiple billion dollars. Um, <clears throat> certainly, at some point, the principle of the independent insurance agency—they're a full-fledged entrepreneur. They own it. Um, you know, they own their book of business um, and they reach a certain level of sophistication. I mean, you know, I, I see, I often see um, substantial and measurable changes around a million dollars. And then again, when we hit three or five million dollars, these really become fairly sophisticated businesses. And because of that, they might be able to deliver um Oh, you know, subtleties and nuances and and, uh, advances in their relationship with their customer that perhaps the kind of semi-entrepreneur over on the captive side, where largely the the captive agent is generally the the principal, is usually the top producer. And so their focus is often uh, more on production than it is on leadership and management. And so um, I have a sense that, uh, and I'm obviously insured by an independent agent, that there's, uh, there is something about being a real entrepreneur and building a business that you like fully completely own and are really responsible for, with lots of suppliers that it puts in a different category than the captive channel. Um, I'm open to getting feedback from that, like I said. I'm not, I'm not standing on that as a principle, but I think that there's something to be said about that. So if I was going to bet on one channel versus the other, yes, the captive has some efficiencies built in because choices get messy and sloppy and complicated and multiple suppliers is you know, full of lots of things to deal with. 
Um, but um, yeah, at the root of it, I think there's a fundamental difference between those two channels. Does that make any sense to you? It does. And the, um, yeah, maybe there's another, uh, um, I'll call it fiefdom or kind of like a state-based insurance process where, you know, if you were um, a captive, you might have a, an appointment for a specific state and you mm -hmm. know, sell all you want there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and what, you know, and then it's the an independent agent might be able to, to, you know, everywhere they're licensed, they could sell. And then it's about getting appointments. So the, the ability to grow your business by, you know, to geographies, to lines of business is kind of more under your own power, um, as an independent agent and you, you can, yeah. you can acquire another book, you can get into other lines, you can, you know, stack out other, um, uh, industries. Uh, it's a it's a you know, an entrepreneur's uh, type of well, and, you, and you you can focus on uh, building and refining the systems that run the agency as to put spending your time focusing on selling policies. So um, here's the yeah, little so light bulb I, that just light bulb went off I in my head. The, uh, you know, the 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 verbiage that would go into like a, a, a Google search would be owner's mindset. Owner's yeah. mindset, the, right? Okay. So the little light bulb. Um, some time ago, for many years, like a decade or, or more, the fastest growing state farm agent in the country was a client of mine out of 18,000, right? He, was, he won that award year after year. Um, and uh, one of the things that I observed was, one, he came into my tent, which was an independent agency tent, and he started hanging around with independent agents. And two, he stopped selling insurance. And he built the business, <laughs> right? And so he learned how to make the phones ring. So he was using multiple media to get inbound calls. And he was building a team of customer service reps and account executives who closed the inbound calls and deepened relationships with existing customers. Bingo. I think that's probably a, a key point there. And to right. the extent and that the we agency, yeah, the independent agency system lives and dies on its ability to run a, a, a true business, not just a small sales organization. I think it has, uh, uh, I think it has an inherent competitive edge. I agree with you. And the, uh, the yeah, so on, owner's mindset, force multiplier, you know, where, uh, and, and kind <laughs> okay. of, a, you know, business level efficiencies. And so the, the force multiplier is, hey, if, if I really work on systems and making the phone ring, I can hire people to like answer the phone, close the sale, manage the claim, handle the customer. And uh, I don't need to do that so much as I need to grow the business yeah. Um, yeah, and right. let other people do that. And that's, uh, that, that is a, um, I think we were talking about, you know, my, my job changes here at JD Power over the last right. uh, you know, six, eight months, where when I first came on board, there was like, learn the product, meet the people, you know, deal with open positions. And then as I, um, you know, hired people and got things moving, you know, the day-to-day -day is starting to change to be more um, what's going to happen next year. What's the, um, uh, what's the voice of the customer mean for, um, you know, a multi-product, you know, entity with, and what does that mean for new challenges and for new products? Um, you know, that idea of growing to where the market is, uh, and uh, and being able to take more market share is the owner's mindset, and that's that, that's I think what you're getting at. 
Uh, now, I can understand why the State Farm agent is, is at your door uh, because, you know, anyone with an owner's mindset, you know, can learn from anyone else with an owner's mindset. And the, uh, the idea that uh, I can grow my agency by growing the in incoming volume uh, of uh, potential customers. And uh, why wouldn't that work for an exclusive agent just as well as an independent agent? The, the idea that you right. do direct, you should do direct response, you know, you know, uh, campaigns. You should do, you know, um, advertising on the internet. You should buy leads. Uh, I mean, you should do whatever you need to do to make the phone ring, uh, because you don't know who's going to answer, you know, the phone when it rings. It's going to be, hey, I really want, you know, this product from this company uh, at this price, or yeah, I'm willing to be educated. Here's the things that I value. Tell me who's got the best match for that. Uh, and those are the, uh, th I mean, th that's like the, the, the conversation about a risk um, uh, advisory, you know, conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, and and those, are, those are like, you know, it's gold. And so even if you get, uh, you know, one out of three calls or that type of call, if you get 10,000 more calls a day than you used to, you're going to have a thousand times more of those conversations. While we're on captives, it seemed to me that last time you and I had a conversation, you had said something about State Farm, and I neglected to go circle back <laughs> on that. So within, said, at least within the limits of, of your confidentiality, because they, they're probably a client or what have you, I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, obviously, they're a, a formidable force, and insurance in this country, what, what do you think? And they have a long history of being a very strong company. What's going on so, with that? So Gale of Two Companies. So Gale of Two Companies. Uh, USAA, 100 years old, you know, this year. State Farm, 100 years old this year. Uh, both are doing well. Both are, you know, you can call them niche, but yeah, it's like one's like restricted membership, USAA, and one is unrestricted membership, um, yeah, as a mutual. But the, um, you know, instead of going to the public markets like a stock company, insurance company, you know, a mutual is on top, uh, you know, and it's not on top of, you know, for just this year. It's been on top for. I don't know, 50 years. I don't. I don't know if it's been on top for 100 years, but you know, as long as I've been counting who's on the, you know, who's number one, who's not number one, mm -hmm. um, it's been State Farm. So the um, uh, obviously it's doing something well. I think Warren Buffett was even, you know, wondering about that at, at his at his own uh, investor day uh, not too long ago. Uh, you know, that goes growing, but we're still catching up, you know, to to a mutual. Who, um, you know, who, why would they be untouchable, uncatchable? Uh, I don't know if um, when you know, the two will get close, but the idea that uh, the State Farm agent could soon be able to say, uh, it's not just your state that you're in, you also can go to adjacent states. So you know, then a, uh, a Nevada agent can come to California. Uh, a California agent could go to many other states. You know, you know, states with lots of bordering states have um, mm -hmm. a lot of opportunity to, um, right. you know, become like a, I'll, I'll say a, a, a regional, uh, you know, agency. Uh, 
And then the idea of, uh, you know, that's just the first note. So if you border three states and you're in one already, you could be writing in four in four states, um, you know, next month. So that uh, that concept of, you know, the big growing bigger uh, and the top agents growing faster, you know, using their owner's mindset to grow their business um, is a uh, is kind of like the, the the fifth column or the the secret you know player that's in the State Farm uh, you know the war chest. Of, of talent. So when you say they're doing something well, okay, um, among the captives, they do seem to be the one that is doing something very well. Is it just that the, um, they've got so many resources, uh, history of being a well-run corporation, uh, strong branding, because obviously it has competitors in the captive channel and, and presumably farmers probably grew out of like a farm bureau experience, state farm, probably, you know, they probably grew out of sort of similar roots. What well, as you know, nine out of nine out of 10 customers in the insurance industry premium belong to the top 20 carriers. And nine out of 10, two, nine out of 10 in the top 20, probably two out of three in the top five. Right, so it's a, uh, you know, and you know, State Farm is currently, uh, what was the numbers this year, sixteen percent of uh, of uh, okay. you know, auto personal auto premium. So that's like uh, one in seven. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a lot. I mean, that's so a lot. That means that, that means that one out of seven crashes, State Farm hit State Farm. That's a lot of cars, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, okay, so. But uh, so, I, I, so I, I think we may have like uh, you know, gone gone down a, a rabbit hole there. But the the idea that um, uh, they're a giant, not a sleeping giant, and um, right. you know when they decide to when they decide to bust a move, they can coordinate it, and they can have change management, and they can act as one uh, across all their regions and entities and brands and uh, and and agent channels. At the same time, so you know, just this uh, just this year, I just uh, wrote the executive briefing for uh, the insurance shopping study, and on a national basis, State Farm was number one in customer satisfaction. Uh, okay. Uh, the, uh, you know, so the you know, customers are starting to enjoy that they're making it easy to do business with State Farm, uh, and there's all there's not just one thing, uh, but it, it's brand, it's, uh, it's being available in market, it's uh, you know, answering the phone, having agents with an owner's mindset, uh, you know, even inside of a captive channel, uh, you know, where you say that you've got you know, captive, you've got customers at, at your business that are captive agents and they wanna learn how to grow faster. Uh, so it's, it's that type of, um, uh, owner's mindset that's uh, that's you know making innovation happen at large old companies and uh, I can throw farmers in there I can throw USA in there I, I don't think you can be a, you know in the top ten and not have a uh, an innovation program a insure tech program a, an investment fund where you're trying to spur innovation uh, simply because things are changing so fast. And, and you don't know who's going to win. You just have to be, you know, constantly doing uh, test and learn. 
Okay. Well, let's uh, segue to like my my last set of questions for you, Marty. Um, your company really is in the full-time business of listening, listening to consumers and attempting to categorize what it hears, synthesize it and package it back to the industry in such a way that it's useful. So, and, and I know that you're constantly doing this. What's the consumer saying these days that we're sort of now perhaps uh, coming out of some of the, obviously some of the strong COVID reactions and the way people were responding then, what are they saying now? They're saying, I'm so happy my car is worth so much more until I get my, ins <laughs> until I get my insurance bill. <laughs> until I get my bill. <laughs> so the, so the, it's, um, you know, it's, the hard thing to see was how the supply chain issues and the demand issues for cars and mobility uh, and the increasing, you know, return to, let's say, new normal, because um, COVID's still around. Uh, yeah. But the return to like regular driving habits for a lot of people, uh, you know, even at $6 a gallon gas where I live, uh, which is ridiculous, right? Uh, I think the, the idea that uh, loss cost based systems like private insurance for automobile are, are kind of cost plus at the, at the net of it. So um, higher cost to repair, higher cost to um, uh, acquire, uh, higher cost to insure. And the, uh, uh, all the companies that I know in the market now uh, are either taking rate or thinking about taking rate. Um, and some of them are saying, well, we can weather the storm for our customers with, uh, with surplus as long as the storm passes, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, everyone who did this five or six years ago, back in 13, 14, 15, when uh, you know, car prices ticked up about 20%. Um, and, and I think a lot of that had to do with car quality and car repairability and things like that. But there was, there was kind of a shift and you can see it in the used car market where you know, it used to be a used car in the eight-year-old category of cars as a bucket was about 11 grand. And uh, then it went through a, a down and up cycle to about 13 grand. And, you know, recently it's gone through this up cycle where it's over 20 grand now as a, as a basket. So there's a, this new, uh, I'll say, inadequacy of pricing is, is going to go through a adaptive phase of, I didn't want to take rate, but now I got to, and oh my goodness, I got to take so much more rate than I thought I was going to have to. Uh, how am I going to get that done and not piss off all my customers? And on the customer side, you know, since we started with that, um, there's this, uh, I learned a new word this week, which was called ennui. <laughs> and oh so I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't think I knew that word, but I guess I did. And it's like the the kind of sense of dissatisfaction and disappointment when you look for something that's not there. And uh, yeah, at least that's how I'm I'm using the word this time. And and that's that, that I think this the shopper not shopper regret like I bought something and found it cheaper, but it's like I thought I was gonna like go shopping and find something better. And there's nothing better out there. 
price-wise anymore at the moment. Or you know, there's this this uh, there's a lot of dissatisfaction that uh, even if I get what I want, it's going to cost more than I wanted to pay. Um, and and those are uh, that that price dissatisfaction is kind of cratering uh, overall customer satisfaction uh, right now. Ah, and you see ah, it you see it okay. more in the direct writers like Progressive and Geico. Um, yeah, as, as two of the biggest direct writers, when you see the line that says direct writers took a hit, um, a lot of it is, you know, they were like two of the earliest customers, you know, clients in the market that started taking rate because they recognized their loss ratios were starting to boil. So I don't see if I heard what you, what I think you just said, <laughs> that the yeah, direct like, writer, the these, direct writers open, are these, experiencing. These open mic, uh, these, these open life interviews can get like yeah, really dangerous. Okay. Um, well, I'm sure this is public information. I just not always sure where to find it. Uh, customer satisfaction with direct writers is going down now. Is that what you're discovering? Almost, and 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 I, I would say entirely due to like the normal uh, as prices go up, shopping satisfaction okay. go down. What about uh, agency customers satisfaction? I, I think. So agencies, uh, because they have a mix of writers who may or may not be taking rate and right. may or may not be taking rate at differential levels, um, you know, could have a mixed bag. You know, they might be the, the place of choice. Okay. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, independent agents can use that to their advantage. Can we make the generalization that <clears throat> the customer of the independent agency channel may be somewhat less price sensitive than the direct writer's customer? Because they they uh, come to the they, they come to the transaction with different values, right? I mean, like your guy, I want well, a local guy. He didn't say to you, "Where do you think I can buy the cheapest insurance in Walla Walla, Washington, or wherever he moved?" He really said, "I want a local guy." So, um, I had this conversation with a colleague the other day about Gen X and Gen Y and Gen Z, and they go, "Well, that generation is like." young and starting and say, no, no, no. They, they were young and starting when we were young and starting, you know, <laughs> you know the, 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 that gen that you're talking about is now in their forties. So okay, right. <laughs> when we talk about direct writers and, you know, who could be their customer, you know, we think about like the, the, the segment of that youthful first starter, small budget, got to have insurance type of shopper. But, you know, 10, 20, 30 years later, because these customers, you know, these companies have been selling products uh, since uh, for a long time and really started to grow in the 90s, uh, right? Uh, so yeah. a lot of their initial customers in the 90s, if they still, if they stayed with them, they're now 30 years older. They're like in their 50s. So, uh, so this idea of uh, it's just this or it's just that, I think is um, uh, a little too simplistic. I mean, the idea of what does a customer value? What do they want now at this stage in their life, at this stage in their uh, household? Um, you know, and people get married and divorced and have kids and kids leave right. all the time every day. So that changing marketplace of, of uh, when it meets kind of a changing price frontier, like all the prices are going up, gas is going up, budgets, budgets are going up, but not as fast as inflation. 
so you you might get a raise at work, but you know, you didn't get an eight percent raise at work. So you know the the rest of that's coming out of your uh, out of your regular budget. So those types of things are are making people shop more diligently. And the um, uh, you know if you only went to one store, you'd only get one price. And I think that that's uh, uh, making people do two things: one, consider shopping more uh, different brands. Shopping is tough. Am I, am I right? Didn't you share that with me last time we talked? And that was earlier this year, isn't it? Shopping, shopping was kind of flat last year, but shopping was kind of flat last year, but started to tick up in the last few months. And so up in this uh, beginning of, of uh, 22, and the uh, switching has been up. Uh, and the, the reasons that they're switching has been more towards um, pricing pressure of um, I needed to shop because my rates went up and I want to go check mm -hmm. to see what's going on. Another is, you know, value-based programs of insurance where, um, you know, if you've never heard of usage-based insurance before, you know, there's a variety of ways to get started. You know, some are, if you yeah. participate, I'll give you a percent off. Some mm -hmm. are, uh, you know, you tell me your mileage, I tell you how much you owe me. And others are like, you know, let me see everything and I'll tell you how you're doing and maybe even give you some training to to improve, uh, you know, your, uh, your your costs on a I'll say mile over mile basis because you could be getting feedback uh, right. continuously. It could be at the end of the trip, could be at the end of the a week or the month or the quarter or the policy period. But this idea that uh, uh, you can be more informed and make choices about you know your your expenses directly and your risk be directly. Uh, I mean that's that's moving to a prevention and safety uh, mindset uh, where, um, you know, it's a different experience than, you know, here's your policy, I'll renew you in six months, you know, talk to you next year. Um, you know, it's, yeah. you know, th those, are, um, uh, those are opportunities now to create new and levels of engagement. And I think that's one of the big differences of, uh, I talk to you next year versus I, I see you on my app after every drive. Um, yeah, if you want feedback, if you want uh, transparency, yeah, that, you that want... actually that increases the touch. I mean, what one of the oh, you know, perhaps one of the downsides of the industry is, is the inherent lack of need for continuous touching. But if they're if they have a device in their car and it's giving them some frequency of feedback, they're actually touching the industry over and over and over again, aren't they? I, I now and I don't know. What? Has Some people that, like it. Is that <laughs> well? So for those who like that, I wonder if that's increased the retention. So there's a. I had a conversation with a, a, a commercial fleet manager and the owner's mindset. You know, owned like ten cars. They delivered things around the community, and uh, you know, they put them up on a telematics program. And uh, a year later. They said, well, how's it going? It's like, well, you know, I didn't save as much as I wanted. Uh, and they go, well, would you like to go back? He goes, no way. Uh, he goes, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, now I know where all my cars are. And the, <laughs> the, the idea that, you know, simply the knowing where the cars were let them do so many other things like right. plan for when the car is going to be back or plan for where the car is going to go next or uh, start doing, you know, time of arrivals or uh, just just kind of like wellness checks of, uh, you know, 
somebody was uh, not responding, but uh, you know, the car is still moving. So they must just have turned off their phone or something, or uh, it's, you know, the ability to have more insight, you know, was such that they'd say, I'd go, I would consider a different, you know, telematics program, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. consider going back to the old way of working. And uh, that's, that, that's, I think, uh, almost like a uh, caller ID. Uh, I mean, the phone company always knew who you called because they sent you a bill, right? Uh, right, but right. Some, some bright person said, well, what if we just, you know, put a little, you know, uh, visibility pad on the phone and uh, show the number that's coming in and you could maybe even add the person's name that owns that phone number, or maybe even their picture, or maybe even a ringtone. And uh, not everybody uses ringtones for, for caller ID, but uh, almost everybody uses caller ID, you know, either okay. to, to uh, prioritize when they're gonna talk to somebody uh, or, or to avoid talking to people. Them out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I have another question for you, and I'm not sure if you have an update on this, so I'm kind of putting you on the spot. I read some research. It feels like it was about exactly one year ago, and I'm pretty sure I got it from your company, from your um, from Tom Super, who was there, and it, it indicated. And, uh, uh, well, yeah, and it indicated um, who was uh, it, um, um, the percentage of people per uh, various demographic categories that preferred an agent, like strong preference for an agent, wanted to be able to talk to somebody. And there were a couple of interesting things that, as I recall, it demonstrated. One um, is that it was across the board, every single generation. Like I was, I was expecting to see the younger generations um, have a drop off on that, and I didn't notice that. And the other one was that it was around thirty percent, give or you know, take a few points on either side, right? Um, so that indicated a couple of really important things to me. One, there's probably about a third of this country that's really well suited to the independent agency channel. Boom, right? Get them. Boom. Leave, well, I mean, leave the that, other that guys to the other guys, right? They, that would, that they, would these are people who percent. say, I want an agent. Get them because your customer lifetime value is going to be better with them. Uh, but also not to give up on the younger generations because I was surprised that we, even with today's technology and that a couple of those generations are really digital natives, that there are those, about a third, who in times of trouble or maybe uh, you know in complicated situations like purchasing insurance, they want an agent. Um, here's the other interesting thing, now that, uh, now that I'm thinking about this, is that this was taken you know, during COVID. And the numbers ticked up two or three points for each of these categories, just about. And I thought, oh, well, naturally, in times of turmoil, people look outside themselves for guidance. And so the desire for an agent actually grew during COVID. Just curious if there's any new data on that or if you have any reflections on that. So the the idea of that, perhaps a, a spider graph of where do you get advice? Uh, you know, has some demographics, but as you said, every age group, you know, has an interest in getting information from other people. Now, sometimes the other people are friends and family. 
And, but often the other people that are qualified to give good advice are agents. And uh, it seems like the, the older you get, when you know you need good advice, you go to someone who you're pretty certain is qualified to give you good advice. So there is this uh, tendency uh, in that spider graph to have people that want to work with people to get advice uh, have an affinity, you know, as they get more insurable assets to, to, to work with uh, directly with an agent versus, you know, friends and family type of, uh, of places. So, you know, getting that need met of, um, you know, I'm going to avoid a digital only channel because I really prefer to work with people. Um, you, you do see that qualification process. So uh, I think that's the, the standing, I'll say this is Marty's forecast for the market is people okay. that want people that want people will always want people. And, uh, you know, an agent that wants to serve more people will find ways to not offend with technology. So the, uh, it'll be, you know, robots when you want them and people when you need them. So, you know, that's, they're going to like solve that riddle. Like they may not need someone to like hand them an ID card. They'd be happy to just <laughs> get an app and order it. Uh, but, uh, you know, for other transactions, you know, they'll, they'll want to work with an agent directly and maybe for advice of what do I really need as I'm going into uh, getting a house or, or, or having a family or, or selling a car, those types of things. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Like everyday transactions. So what a pleasure to talk to you, Michael, the uh, hopefully your, your editor, you know, can uh, you know, take this ramble of, uh, of, of great ideas. Most of them yours. Uh, you know, and uh, and turn it into gold, and I'll, I'll look. We got gold now. We're we're loaded with gold nuggets in this conversation, Marty, as we have in all of our conversations. So, thank you for joining us today. I really do appreciate it. It's my pleasure, and thank you, Michael. Thank you for listening to the Connected Insurance Podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share it with your peers and colleagues. Explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers by visiting agencyrevolution.com and clicking media. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox.